Welcome everyone to the Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. I have holes. The Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantumania is brought to you by The Ooze. Drink it. Uh, Pete, a surprising uh start here also uh pete surprising those critics who said ant-man and the wasp quantumania boo hiss uh the movie's done 118 120 million dollars in the united states over this three-day president's day weekend uh another approximate 240 uh million internationally so totaling up 357 million dollars give or take biggest opening for an ant-man film uh among the top for president's day and so forth so uh things looking just fine here in terms of the box office numbers i do not understand the hate for this film and then like the seeming hate watch of rotten tomatoes and just like all this that has been wrapped together um, this film was a great jaunt at the box office. I don't think anybody expected it to reinvent the wheel. Um, and that it is seemingly outperforming what was expected, I think shows that people still just don't know what they want. I think too, is it slightly different from the other Ant-Man films? Okay, I, I guess kind of, sort of. So if that maybe has contributed to a lower cinema score, which is your audience score, uh, okay, fine. But it's also like, let's settle in for another Marvel movie that had some familiar Marvel tropes, that had the familiar Marvel visuals. Um, and, you know, we'll get into it further shortly, but a, a pleasantly surprising third act that didn't, you know, wasn't the carbon copy of every other Marvel movie. So, you know, welcome familiar friends. Glad to be back with the, uh, the Ant-Man folks. Yeah. I, again, I, I just don't quite understand the, the, the hate and then, Oh wow. It, it, it didn't crash and burn. Oh, well, like, come on. <laughs> um, what are you people doing? But anyway, Matt, just to look across uh, our feeds here, catch you up a little bit. Uh, we have wrapped our uh, Star Trek uh, Picard season three first episode uh, began streaming yesterday. What we're hitting on our Star Trek Sundays um, in uh, preparation there for what will soon be Star Wars Saturdays, the first this coming week. Indeed, we'll be uh, getting ready for Mandalorian Season 3. Um, again, not just the confluence of, you know, kind of similar uh, guys leading a show in Star Trek Card and The Mandalorian, but also, though not part of our podcasting habit, you know, certainly we're both watching The Last of Us, so just familiar guys leading folks along the way through a variety of challenging uh, settings and so forth, uh, and certainly looking forward to... I My mean, guess next week is a Star Wars Saturday, and that we'll be talking about Mandalorian, uh, along with a Star Trek Sunday for Picard uh, episode 302. But to really be digging into, not battling, how about concurrent uh, Star Wars and Star Trek offerings as soon as we reach March? 
that first Mandalorian season three scene has been put out there. A lot of fun and just a portent of what's to come for that. Uh, back to Marvel, Matt. This is Marvel Monday, after all. Uh, the Marvels poster uh, hit on Friday uh, with a barely visible but definitely different release date. Yes, it has been pushed back from this summer to November 10th. Um, I don't think any... The fear of uh, people, oh my God, they've destroyed it. They need more time to to fix it. As if, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, whether it's... It's probably a case of needing more time. However, November's been just fine for Disney and just fine for Marvel. Um, So it's not like... You know, uh, be, the only time you should really be concerned about a movie, even in this day and age, is if you have a January release that still is, you know, the, the true doldrums. Other than that, you know, fine. A a midsummer. I mean, most of us experience midsummer in July for Hollywood. You know, third week in July is late, late, late summer, and you're kind of cranking out alternative programming, and you know, also runs and ne'er do wells in August for the most part. So certain arguments we made that this is a better spot and how about this Pete? Oh, if i it, agree if I it agree. means a better movie that's the best you know i.e finish the effects or if you need to do reshoots or any of that stuff which i i have not heard but i can only imagine the effects work continues okay fine that means a better movie what is the rush after all and november a bigger sign of faith certainly but seems to be part of an overall trend Yes, though, of course, the Marvels is, you know, a theatrical release. The overall trend of Disney and lots of people uh, who are streaming, uh, you know, getting into the streamer slowdown here. Um, again, Marvel's a theatrical release, but there's been a lot of discussion about how Disney Plus may be taking some 2023 projects, particularly Marvel projects, and moving them into 2024. So, yes, we have Marvel's uh, theatrical release now in November, but we might see uh, Ironheart and uh, Agatha, Coven of Chaos, moved out of 2023 entirely, despite the fact that I believe Ironheart is done filming and Agatha is just starting filming, that sort of thing. Um, Might also mean we get Secret Invasion and perhaps Loki later on. So, again, just worth tying all this to you know, I don't know, is there already a Marvel's secret scene in which, you know, somebody says, well, you didn't know I'm part of the secret invasion. It's the perfect tee off there. Um, it could be secret invasions moving along with Marvel's for not delay reasons, but just for story synergy reasons and things of that sort. Um, it's not like we're going to be talking about Loki in this podcast, though. At least at least there's that. Not at all. Uh, yeah, I like that theory that something somehow with Secret Invasion, um, you know, ties into the Marvels and where they would put that. We still don't have a date for that. Uh, so, yeah, it could be the case as well. When we catch you up on what went down, Matt, with a prologue here, Michelle Pfeiffer who's never, ever carried a movie before and carries quite a bit of this film at times uh, in in the quantum realm, the backstory to the thing she will not talk to her family about at all after some time back. Um, 
in this quantum realm prologue, inadvertently saving uh, Jonathan Major's Kang. It was a choice to have this prologue appear after the Marvel Studios logo, and I, I don't mean to be pedantic or nitpicky, but I really feel like it would have been better. Um, I think it's clear when you say, why is that Michelle Pfeiffer circa 1993? Oh, wait, she's de-aged. And, you know, so I think we can follow the chronology just fine. Um, and certainly if you're digging into Ant-Man 3, you should have a sense of when mom's not around versus when mom is around. Um, but just, I just remember just being struck by it. it. It's just weird. And then immediately we head into, you know, some, some Scott Lang goodness in the present day. I, me personally, if my editing credit is on the screen there, I would have, said uh you know separate the two scenes with the the, uh the marvel studios logo the long shadow that kang has in this film i think really feeds into the the long game i mean you think about the amount we we see him right at the beginning okay and the amount he's talked about before we finally see him in the current time on screen really helps to foster that. And then that you go to the end of the movie, you get the mid credit scene with the council of Kangs. And then at the end of the third Ant-Man movie that it bears not uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp will return, but instead Kang will return in something that I think was a missed opportunity. Yes, you had uh, you had pitched as I think we were still in our seats, no less. You had pitched that very little last look, saying Kang's plural will return. I proposed a split the difference, a la Ant Man and the Wasp will return. This in a pre pre End Game uh, debut, as you might recall, where it was Ant Man and the Wasp will return to will return question mark, and everyone in the theater went, oh, like you're breaking our hearts, and we know it's all pretend, and we know it's kind of all part of the. You know, everybody's probably coming back from the dusting and all of that. But that would have been fun to be like, Kang's will return. Uh, Pete, I must say, in a well-attended theater where Kang will return, received maybe the biggest applause uh, of the whole film. That uh, none of the performers could hear because we did not watch the film with them. But, you know, I mean. If we did, Pete, they were very little. They're, they're very small. You have to keep in mind. <laughs> so maybe they were there. Put, putting that obviously makes a lot more sense than listing all the individual uh, Kang variants, um, which would have been longer than the credits themselves. Um, but well, that could have been fun too. That could have Kang will return. Really, you know, Pharaoh Kang. Boom! Cut to black. You know, pedantic. But the part you talked about before about not running the prologue prior to the Marvel Studios card, I think made sense. You kind of flip it with the Scott Lang stuff, Avenger, author, the, you know, chunk of film we have take place outside of the quantum realm, uh, you know, right at the start there and really getting the bulk of our comedy not out of the way, if you will, the quantum realm, other than, hey, I can't understand what you're saying. Drink this, you know, uh, everybody then can can understand it. Doesn't give itself, lend itself 
naturally to a lot of comedy, despite the fact you have a science fiction comedy writer here in Jeff Loveness, the body of his work having been done for Rick and Morty. So yeah, as you mentioned, we kind of get in a movie that really, really is an ensemble film. And I would even go back to Ant-Man and the Wasp and say there were, I think there were plot portion, major plot portions of Ant-Man and the Wasp where Scott Lang is kind of there and things are happening around him, but he's not necessarily on the hero's journey. Um, aspects of that here, and I'm not really taking it to task. These The Ant-Man movies are what they are in terms of, you know, fun romps and so forth. If you want to take points off this film for not showing, like, this is what a giant uh, salt shaker would look like if it was thrown at a, at a man-sized man, or this is what it's like to drive in a car the size of a Hot Wheels car around big cars. Like, oh, you know, like, okay, like, those were fun. Would I have been mildly bored with a third outing of gimmicks like that versus, like, here's a goo guy and here's... You know, like, I don't know what I'm seeing half the time. And that's that's entertaining. But beat grounded in reality here. The 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 fun, as I'm sure we all know, the book is a real book that, you know, has been ghostwritten or whatever it might be. And him having the dramatic ending there. And I kind of here's points of the movie for not going comedic. I thought there was gonna be some sort of like, boo, boring. But instead, people are like, it's Ant-Man who helped, you know, save the world. And he just did a book reading at my local San Francisco area bookshop. Hooray, hooray, I'm an inspired child. The whole thing about this character rags to riches. You know, that they've baked the whole heist movie into this trilogy. And, you know, I would argue the one thing that kind of works the least in this film is the imposition that, well, it's an Ant-Man movie. They've got to steal something. Um, but to take him, you know, he's the least likely maybe next to Captain America of our Avengers, you know, ex-con run afouls of the law. Uh, you know, what real skills does he have? The guy's an electric engineer. Um, yes, he's since participated in all this stuff that make him a worthy Avenger. But yeah, to have the the straightforward sweetness of his biography, um, I, I think you, you play that there so that, you know, once he bails Cassie out, they can be listening to it in the car, you know, have the, the humor at his expense rather than, oh, he wrote a funny thing or, or people booed him. I'll add to that, Pete. If, if there was a version of this movie that was maybe a little bit more, I don't know, rigorous with uh, dramatic content or character self-reflection or things of that sort, again, I don't know that I'm arguing for that. Um, maybe the most reflection-y we've gotten in these three films is the notion of the uh, in the first Ant-Man film, a little bit too with the second one, but kind of like the imperfect family that still is happy, you know, mom and divorced dad and new dad, the two dads can be friends, the ex-husband can be friendly with both, and, you know, all of that. Um, it, again, that's kind of maybe the most social commentary or big lesson with a bow on it. You want to say, oh, well, there Scott is sitting doing these book talks, having the comfortable life and so forth contrasted with 
Cassie here, played by Catherine Newton, who, you know, is out there fighting a more street-level fight, you know, protesting the the ev overnight eviction of the homeless camp and things of that sort. It's an interesting contrast. The movie doesn't particularly deeply go there, in part because really soon we're going to zip-zap-zoop to, you know, the quantum realm and all of that, not really be that concerned with uh, our, you know, people at the fringe of society getting the help they need in San Francisco. Um, but I appreciate, again, maybe I have lower expectations for an Ant-Man movie. I don't know. I appreciate that they gave Cassie do-gooder stuff in, in real world, contrasted with Dad, who's, like, been to space, so sometimes there's things at home you can't fix. It tracks. It's timely. Um, it was an interesting decision to recast the character. Um, and, you know, how do you like to be poor Emma Furman who finds out at a Marvel presentation, she's not back. Um, that of course the Avengers Endgame Cassie Lang that, uh, you know, Paul Rudd has the, the tearful reunion with, um, obviously Newton is a more prominent face, uh, I think she works in the role. It's not as if Marvel hasn't recast uh, primary roles before. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, I found it jarring the first time because we hadn't heard it in the other films. She's referring to Hank as grandpa. Uh, I was like, wait, what? Oh, okay. Um, so that I was guess, a little... I, I guess those two worlds didn't cross much right it was usually yeah, cassie I thought, no, yeah no. The, the scene with the pizza right before you know the obvious inciting incident to the film um but yeah all right so what does it do in a word you you indicate closeness of of character um but you know we have the Janet intrigue. Oh, why won't you tell us what's going on? If only we were about to go on an adventure where all this might be disclosed. And the disclosure that um, Cassie and Hank have been working on this project uh, together. And then she had five years while they were dust and her father was in the quantum realm uh, to you know, tweak, because obviously she was motivated to try to find him. Uh, and then almost instantly sucking them into the quantum realm, because Janet tells us this is bad and, and has this thing she hasn't disclosed to anybody in this time, that the film almost seems to belabor. Uh, yes, belabor. I mean, it's, again, there is... Look, the standard argument against your standard Marvel Studios film and perhaps TV show is that there's a certain level of sloppiness there. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. And I know I've stolen this statement from um, you know, maybe Cinema Sins or something like that uh, on YouTube. Just the, the notion that what we really expect out of Marvel is a B-plus outing where we get some razzle-dazzle and some characters and some funnies at the right time and maybe a provocative thing here and there. Um, but that in the end, there's a big light battle and everybody comes back okay, but then the story's not over because we get secret scenes that tell us to be psyched for the next thing. And when we get more than that, we're happy. And when we get less than that, it's called Eternals. 
Um, <laughs> hate, hate, hate out of Matt for his beloved Eternals. But again, just the point being like, I'm completely okay with the sloppiness of how this movie opens in terms of, you know, the the secret, you know, grandma's secret past, you know, as also seen in soap operas when it's like, I didn't tell you that when I, before I moved here, I was a robot ant whatever you know um similarly like okay here's grandma's secret scene and then here's scott being normal and here's bringing his daughter who's into justice and wait no what boop, boop, boop. now we're in a big green screen land where everything's animated and feels like jack jack kirby again i'm just kind of like i'm here for it and this does not need to have overarching metaphors or you know reflection into today or reflection into the existence of humanity Give me some goo guys and some laser scans and, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer, everybody loves, is at the core of it. And, uh, you know, back when she was the quantum realm, she also apparently was a a vital and energetic woman. Uh, it's all good. Bring it on. There is at least a part of an attempt to sell it as some form of post-traumatic stress um, and then informed through some of catching up with the quantum realm. All right. I was a rebel and, you know, then the big reveal, um, you know, to the Jack Kirby esque weirdness of the quantum realm that you mentioned before. And that Peyton Reed returns here off having directed the most important episode of the Mandalorian to date and his use of the volume and the stagecraft technology for this. Um, do you have a sense Pete as to how much of this was stagecraft volume versus green screen and animated after the fact? Oh, he, it was a stagecraft joint. Interesting. Interesting. Cause Okay, among other things, I, I have so many thoughts now, Pete, you're blowing my mind, because I, I had not considered until you mentioned his use of the volume, I had not considered any of that. So here are my thoughts. First of all, he clearly has brought the knowledge um, of that volume experience to Marvel, and he's also clearly been hanging around Marvel um, since the first Ant-Man, i.e., you know, there's just reference to how he's like at the headquarters and how he's involved with some story stuff and you know, producer on Avengers things, you know, things of that sort. So the notion of him being the, him being the guide on this is interesting. Add to it part of the reason that Ant-Man and Marvel's flipped dates originally. And now we've seen Marvel's move back again. Part of it we were told at the time was Ant-Man's just a little bit farther along with the visuals. Well, yeah, if you were preparing visuals for the volume. So when you shot on the day, you were like, Great, we got everybody's coverage. Cool, go home. Editor, start editing. All the footage is done. There's no need for further, or there's, there's no major need for further special effects work for, you know, scene in the forest and things of that sort. Yeah, that will move a project along farther. Um, and what have we heard in the last year, Pete? What's the problem with Marvel Studios? That they're always making late decisions, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Unless you're a VFX person who now needs to deliver twice as much in half the time and all of that. So the notion that maybe this movie was delivered um, on time, on budget, or or closer to that, and helped, among other things, address 
a spot in the Disney schedule where they wanted to have something, et cetera, et cetera, all because of stagecraft. Um, that's a really powerful notion. I think part of the seeming tepid reaction, and again, the money numbers would tell you differently, and nobody I've talked to who've seen it has not enjoyed it. Um, the idea here that it's a relatively straightforward story that, you know, they're outside, they get sucked in, they have big fight, they get out. Um, but along the journey, they're meeting Jantora here played by, uh, agents of shield and the Mandalorian alumna, Katie O'Brien, who I just could not place. And then I was like, Oh my God, it's, it's the, the lady from the Imperial like cruiser bridge. And she had been an agent on agents of shield, which is sounds stupid when you say it like that. <laughs> um, and then the rebels there, particularly Veb, who, you know, we're watching the credits. I'm like, Oh, David Dasmachian's in this, but you know, obviously we don't have the ex cons. Uh, and you were immediately like, no, no, he's the, he's the holes guy. Well, it wasn't even that I knew it. It's just when it was like his name was up there. It's like, wait, where is he? And going through and being like, oh, right, that nice voice, you know, because everybody roots, everybody roots for David Dalsmachi. And, yes. you know, he's been out there with prior to acting success, you know, substance abuse issues and so on and so forth. And then he gets hired for what a one scene role in The Dark Knight Returns. And because he's a low man on the totem pole, he goes to, london to shoot it and they push it back and they push it back and they push it back and of course he needs to get paid for every day he's sitting in a hotel room bigger than his apartment and you know how it's just like you know how we how it's this success story of a guy who you know you know didn't work out on muscle beach or didn't you know wasn't friends with plenty of hollywood owners or things of that sort and uh pete i could barely think of a better use of him here i mean the notion that he was hopefully on set if not on set you know still part of the ant-man family here um i i can barely imagine a better use for him in this movie yeah the character is a ton of fun quaz the guy who can read minds you know some of the better gags in the film and then you know the the zolom uh cgi character with the the light up head and you know part of this cast of supporting characters that then matt you know because we've got to put it out there and then the stuff that uncomfortably came out in between that we would get this big bill murray cameo paycheck grab as lord krylar i mean look i think the the uh metaphorical jury is still out in terms of you know, some poor onset behavior from Bill Murray and so forth. So I'm not, I'm not saying, Hey, based on my understanding of the situation, they should have recast. I, I don't think any of it to my knowledge at this point, none of it kind of meets that level, but flip side is this congrats. You got Bill Murray to go play Bill Murray, I guess. Um, and I mean, look, it helps that he's, you know, human, just like, uh, uh, just like uh, Janet Van Dyne, so you can say if there are some sparks, there you go. And he certainly is affable and lovable and so forth. Um, I would have much rather had Bill Murray voice Veb 
And I would have liked to see David Dasmachian as this Lord Krylar person. Yeah, um, his, his, I mean, you know, he, he's got a look to him. And, you know, if you sit and go, well, how could, uh, how could, you know, Janet and him have, you know, potentially have had a background, you know, just some sort of reference of like, he's just an irresistible guy or something like that. I think we all would have been like, it's David Dasmachian, of course. <laughs> of course he would, he would woo her in, in, in this situation and so forth. But, Pete, we got Bill Murray here, and you know, certainly affable and enjoyable on screen. I pity the person who might have been like, "Oh man, I really, really forgot to go to the bathroom before this thing started. Let me go real quick now and come <laughs> back and be like, you missed Bill Murray. He's gone. He's not in the rest of the movie. The end. Sorry, because he's there for maybe, what, about four or five minutes? I don't know what my expectations would have been apart from what it was that, you know, he's not going to be the feature role, you know, you're going to give him some billing. Um, so I guess all to design there, Matt, something that we hear first and the informed would know that I'm talking about the mechanized organism designed only for killing and then comes across uh modok not the modok as of course scott lang gets to have some fun with this that they do the villain from the original film darren cross yellow jacket and that his fate was nebulous enough to retcon him and resurrect him as modok in maybe the most effective way possible something that uh, Jeff Loveness cracked day one in the room and really runs through most of the time in the quantum realm. Yeah, I initially, I mean, look, the Modoc character from the comics is so out there that it kind of was like, I, I don't quite see the need for him, but okay, movie, sell me on it. And I would say, having seen, you know, having this perspective now of the whole movie, uh, okay, he's your, you know, general of the troops he's your boots on the ground he's your in-between bad guy because you can't beat kang until the end and even then it's kind of like a kang to be continued kind of thing so you need a different baddie and a different arc and all of that um and modok serves it perfectly if you want to say well modok is still two-dimensional it's at a third dimension low level inspired choice to bring back darren cross the I couldn't decide the entire time whether I liked or didn't like the way his face looked. Like I suspect that face was, they got him into a, you know, they put, they painted dots all over his face and they had his face drive a texture map. They had um, a gigantic maquette on set of the exact thing we see in the effects. Uh, there's a picture of loveness with it. Um, so yeah, it, it was not a an afterthought. Oh, let's let's just make it big and look like they've zoomed the the face out. Um, you know, Matt's last holdover of the Marvel TV Jeff Loeb days. You know, his beloved um, Modoc series on Hulu with Patton Oswalt just sounds like sour grapes, man. <laughs> Um, ultimately, I, I guess my question, my question to the universe would be this, 
are those the Darren Cross effects that they wanted full stop? Like, I know, obviously, everything can be improved with more time and more money. I'm not saying infinite time and infinite money, but, like, if that's what they were going for and it kind of looks a little, it still kind of looks a little, I don't know, fake or looks a little Play-Doh, clay, whatever. If they got what they were going for, fantastic. Because I'm not here to tell you that Darren Cross smushed and put into a Modoc suit should look a certain way. But meanwhile, I have no idea what quantum zone people and buildings that fly on their own. Like, I don't know. I don't know how realistic all those things are supposed to look and if i'm now going to complain that darren cross doesn't look the way i think it should have like I'm, I'm not here to say well the one is okay and the one isn't if this is what they wanted great if this is one of these things where you hear from the vfx supervisor in a couple months yeah that was the last thing we did yoinks then then that'll be what that'll be too but again like a lot of this for whatever reason i'm not taking major party fouls for any of the aspects of this movie. I'm not quite sure why it gets a less strict grading, but it does. The design of a, an over the top comic character and something that is, you know, grotesque in the right way, but at the same time, a little goofy to do it this way, to give it the faceplate and then to have, his face beneath it. I, I think it all works. And, you know, the, the way that his arc functions in the film, there's not another property. There's not another way at this point you're, you're going to integrate him. So to do it this way and to think too, that we're in the multiverse saga. Now at the beginning of phase five, that they could, though they've, killed him off matt an erstwhile avenger now and and what i think gets the biggest laugh of the movie um that you could return to him somehow as we consider that this movie also might occasionally involve ant-man doing ant-man things uh we have um him making the deal with kang to what get the get the power sphere um, which, of course, will, uh, you know, has been embiggened and needs special Ant-Man uh, Pym particle diskettes in order to resolve the situation. So thus it means Ant-Man and later the Wasp will have to enter the probability storm. Again, just a super fun, I don't want to say no stakes, but maybe that Pete, maybe that's what i'm looking for for all these movies i like that the ant-man films have slightly lower stakes and i think that is definitely something i've said about the other films i like the lower stakes nature and even though this is like oh we got to do a whole big thing the minute that you have multiple copies of a guy and some of them fall down from the human pyramid and some of them work for baskin robbins and some of them are actual you know our our main hero hero it, it's all good it's all fun yeah and the return of the Baskin Robbins boss from the original, um, really, really well done to to reach for that too. Um, but the probability storm and the different variants, and then that all right, we'll we'll throw one in that is wearing the Baskin Robbins uniform and has a different name. <laughs> This is a great touch as well. I think it was like Max or it, it wasn't uh, Scott. 
yeah and i mean jack maybe it's it, it it's a fun opportunity for crazy zany visuals i did and i'm not saying this to get a chuckle now and i'm not saying it to be a a wise guy either there were points where it was like so wait is this an ant-man movie where i thought things are miniature or giant or both or is this like a doctor strange movie where we're in the foldy bendy whatever and again i was just like i kind of don't care because i'm having fun and i get that the quantum realm is so small so as to be essentially this there's elements of this is your marvel star wars movie because things are so small now it's gigantic and it's galactic and okay whatever man there's a big pyramid of dudes and they can't quite make it and the wasp comes in to save the day and she's able to stay focused and together through friendship and romance and working together they solve the thing and it's it's all good pete tell me more about advanced ants from the future because <laughs> because because why not because that's this movie man well that this colony of ants that hank has been working on to give technological abilities gets sucked into the quantum realm as well and separated from them that they have all this time right the dilation of what goes on there to further uh advance themselves and you know where i've seen people say it's a deus ex machina that it's a cop-out that they would do this if, if you, your story is going to insulate kang and the need for scott lang the same way like oh uh modok tells me you're a good thief i need you to shrink down and fix the you know time engine because it's the one thing he can't do other than escape which is going to allow him to escape and wreak havoc on the multiverse and on those that he wants to uh prune but you know how else are you going to overcome him by the thing that he can't see coming that you've added into the sauce here also, I mean, look, every story that you care about, every story should have ironclad, you know, log internal logic to it, et cetera, et cetera. But can we also acknowledge that sometimes things just happen for story reasons? Um, and like, let's start with, hey, Oscar winning legend, Michael Douglas needs something to do in the third act. Um we're not going to necessarily have him run around in a suit and, you know, jump as green screen guys with pillows, you know, run around him and, oh, we're going to comp in alien creatures later. We already have three, four other people to do that. What can we give Michael Douglas that's different? I don't know. Um, let's not forget that Marvel is about using your brain and science as much as it is about, you know, knuckle sandwiches. So he's a scientist, brain guy. What's he into? Ants. Okay. Ants save the day. You want to say it's a deus ex machina? I mean, deus ex machina is only, it has this negative air to it because it's an out of the blue save. Did they then go, well, now ant battle. Okay, let's not make it a deus ex machina. Let's backtrack and have ant static for two scenes and let's have some ants fall into the thing enough so that you see it. So when we flash back to it later on, you go, oh yeah, I saw that thing. Like, does that, uh, by the inclusion of tic-tac and toe to get to the deus ex machina does that undo it i think it does if if somebody's sitting there going took me out of the movie because now i can see how they just 
backtrack to get Michael Douglas to save the day. I'm cool with, and the story just needed a cool save from the biggest actor on set. I'm fine with that too. It's not as if they alone solve the threat and to have Scott have the fight after, you know, everybody else has jumped out of the quantum realm and then hope jumps in there and they give you just enough of a fake out to think that, Oh, maybe our titular characters will get stuck in our titular setting to close out this trilogy but then have Cassie open another window there for them to get out after Kang is sucked into the time chair. Well, you know what? A couple things about the final battle. I guess I'll go in reverse order there. Cassie saving the day through previously established science <laughs> from the beginning of the movie. Well done. Because second thing, the notion of, you know, prior to Cassie's save, the notion of Scott and Hope being trapped there because MCU movies have this knock against them that the end is never the end because you're always setting up the next thing. I was fully prepared to walk out of that theater and be like, oh man, shucks that they're gone forever until they come back. And until they come back might be Ant-Man 4 in four years, or it might be an Avengers thing or a Kang this, or it could be a secret scene, or for all we know, they show up in Loki or Echo or blah 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 blah. like i'm not really gonna walk out of there going oh you took away my ant-man and the wasp like i wasn't gonna feel it in my heart because it is marvel and endings don't count so the fact that they did get saved ultimately that was you know as opposed to lean into well this is just gonna seed next time that was a pleasant surprise the the bare knuckle fight i thought was above average for marvel um and I think just even the very kind of straightforward, um, the very f straightforward nature of the final act where it's the two armies fighting each other. And there's not really, you know, if the biggest switcheroo is Scott is prepared to sacrifice himself, i.e. his connection to family and so forth in order to save the universe of the quantum realm and the universe of if, if, wink, Kang ever comes through, like, yeah, that's what Avengers do. That's what heroes do. That's what this dad does, you know. So I was prepared. I was prepared for all those things, and I felt pleasantly surprised by the third act of this film. The return to obviously the six one six reality ours, and the reuse of so many of the cuts from the beginning of the film, welcome back Cotter and all that. And then to slow it down to give you just enough menace, like, wait, what did I do here? I killed Kang. And he said more were coming. And obviously so much of the audience has seen Loki and he who remains there. So to get him to reconsider his actions at the end and just propel you enough forward in this super long game at, you know, phase five um, ending with the Kang dynasty, the Avengers film. Yeah. And I'll even, I mean, I'll, I know that you might say, well, fine, he gets home, but still the ending is a to be continued ending. Yeah. But I also appreciate that they then, I mean, 
they to be continue it for us but then for scott he's like nah actually it probably is okay like they they still are able to end on the happy for our heroes uh you know again where they didn't need to and we've seen we've seen unhappy endings um (laughs) yeah yeah and that's been done effectively so and pete i walked out of there happy and uh that's what an ant-man film is to me and a couple people still walk out for these credit scenes matt the mid credit scene with the council of Kangs here, uh, principally Ramatut, Immortus, and Scarlet Centurion talking about how Kang, the one they exiled all along, the story we just saw, is dead and now their need to mobilize. Yeah, appropriate in terms of where it should be and so forth. Um, you know, Marvel has really fine-tuned, you have the mid-credit as an out-of-story experience, i.e. Ant-Man and the Wasp, where you can satisfactorily end that movie, and then in the mid-credits go, we're pulling the rug out from from under you, and we're going to kill three, you know, three beloved characters, and leave Scott trapped, and da-da-da-da-da, and we kind of, we are able to separate what is the body of the story and what is what is extra and we get it here it's delicious and delightful and um of course not the last kang that we see in the film the post credit scene is indeed the cherry on top of the sunday um and when i first heard about it i was like all right now really excited having loki and mobius here as they've filmed season two of Loki and we're still waiting on a date and it might be a little longer than we expected, but to see them return here and first to get Victor timely identified in writing, and then to see that this is a Kang, he who remains variant um, and to have Loki who's interacted with him. And the last time we saw Mobius, no idea of who he is. It's a doc connector as well. If so much of Marvel Studios Phase Four happened to coincide with the the years of plenty and the growth period for Disney Plus and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars falling out of the sky and putting Marvel Studios in a, in a position to say, what are some characters that we should test out here and what does that look like for Disney Plus um, and what's what's going to be a Stranger Things level hit and what's going to not work. Um, that was what that was for the phase. And again, as we spoke about at the top of the podcast here, part of the streamer slow down, the streamer slim down is stopping some excessive decisions. And that's not a Disney thing. Just all the streamers are like, Hey, what if we were a little bit more careful with what we did? So I say all this Pete, because this post-credit scene is precisely the kind of thing that should be showing up to show the interconnectivity and if not with Loki, then whom? Uh, I suspect that we have seen the last of some Disney Plus MCU characters, and might, you know, which is to say, I suspect we might never ever see them again because it just wasn't a good fit, or it wasn't a big hit, or the character's too expensive, or whatever. But not Loki, not Mobius. The only way this could have been better if if it was if it was like, and we know that Loki starts next week, and now we get to be on the lookout for this scene, or if we got 
Loki will return in Loki season two date, something like that. Um, maybe we're not quite there yet, but hopefully in. We did it with Spider-Man. Come on. We had Kingpin, Wilson Fisk, and then, you know, Daredevil the next day. If, if you went Wednesday, uh, if you watched Wednesday and then you went to the movie on Thursday, like I, I don't think we'll ever be able to top that apart from, you know, a, an announcement that, Oh, Hey, while you were at the theater, th this has hit Disney plus, you know, the, we talked about the super bowl with the Cloverfield paradox. Oh, watch it after the big game um, might be the only way to top that type of synergy. I agree, and not everything needs to be synergistic, but, like, does this feel like the same MCU that Moon Knight took place in? Like, I guess it does, and I enjoyed Moon Knight. Um, I know we're getting more Ms. Marvel in the Marvels and a movie that's now had its release date pushed back twice and so forth, but this is how you do it. I would even say down to, like, I, of course, know what Tom Hiddleston looks like. You throw me into, you know, now there's been several minutes of credits, not just the let's sit through the fun credits and we know we're going to get a good mid credit scene. You all of a sudden throw me into like, there's a guy in a bowler hat or, you know, and, and being lit by firelight. Oh my goodness. It's low. Oh my goodness. It's Mobius. Like, you know, that was a, that was a great little tidbit and a great reminder that it really is all connected. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. We begin, of course, with the big baddie, the Thanos level threat here of Kang. I mean, there's a reason why Kang is going to be the new baddie across uh, multiple phases. There's a reason why they've gotten Jonathan Majors. There's a reason why, among other things, he had a Loki episode that basically is a 15-minute monologue, and there's some plot draped around it, but it's basically just Jonathan Majors say a thing to people for 15 minutes. And He's, eating an apple. While eating an apple. Um, Cinema Sins taught me very well that uh, buttheads, they use another word, uh, buttheads are always eating apples in movies and TV shows. Um, but he is just so, so good, and I feel like Marvel has scooped him up at exactly the right time because in between these Marvel movies that he's going to make could be his big game-changing Oscar-winning thing. I'm not saying I know of a project, but I wouldn't be surprised if five years from now you go, oh my goodness, Pete, that, that Jonathan Majors movie about that just look, took a look at human existence and everybody in the theater was crying and now he's got the, the Oscar and da 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 You know, they, they got him on the way up in a big, big way. Um, and it's just, you know, what if... What fantastic and magnificent villain kang is he can act he's got the accents and that we've now had enough of these variants that we've seen beyond just the big two that he's played in he who remains and kang to see the subtlety the swings of performance he's a physical threat and that's showcased in this kang variant and the dude takes care of himself he's a handsome guy you know there's that quality to it as well uh yeah i know he has a boxing movie coming out yes. where it's like oh my goodness like hey you get to put on all the muscles for the boxing movie and uh hopefully keep them for marvel not that he's anything less than very fit in this 
Um, Pete, on the opposite end of that <laughs> is Modoc, a completely computer-generated character with, at best, a motion-captured face performance, not even like a... His little arms and his little legs <laughs> yeah. hang off there. Um, you know, again, the, the idea of a, a chaired head with a thruster engine at the bottom of it um it's comical in and of itself and to give it any kind of believability and then to have the character we long thought was dead return to play it and to play it in a way that okay uh this is believable and at the same time Corey Stoll who there was a time when he was a big get for Marvel coming off House of Cards and uh to bring him in there and now have this pathos to this character that they really shouldn't have had and are able to make work and weaponize I would add to it 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 is great to have him back in this film. You know, I don't know if we see an Ant-Man 4. Um, clearly this has done well with box office and so forth. You know, I mean, so did Thor 4, even though it um, it didn't do... I don't think that's... You know, I don't think Thor 4 is the best Thor that's out there. But um, if this... My point being this, Pete. If this is the last ant-man movie and you could certainly have all these characters back in avengers or you know an ant-man spinoff starring cassie or whatever that might look like to have had kind of you know hashtag justice for darren cross if you will um and to have had a redemptive arc there it's just nice to know that that happens across these three ant-man films i think one of the things that works the best about the council of kang's scene beyond just the overwhelming number limitless variants here and the couple that have you know over the top outfits that all right this one's egyptian and this one's that and then again that we have victor timely who's going to be a big part of the second season of loki um is that we have the extension of the idea of Kang, um, you know, the, the blue face and, you know, how they integrate all that into the presentation of the live action character. But you get to, again, use this idea that there are more of them coming and this is a snake with a really long tail. And even down to the point where, you know, the number of, I guess, just, duplicates they use of majors or you know green screen it in or however you know the exact uh production of it works um you know one of them really close to the camera like yelling as uh that scene closes out yeah it's a fun it's a fun scene and again another knock against marvel films is sometimes the film or the show is actually there to set up something else. It's not there to support itself. 
And I did not feel that was the case for this film, despite the fact that the Council of the Kangs scene is setting up our new big bad threat in that's going to get resolved in four or five years, something like that. Well, helping us to solve threats a lot sooner, Matt, our own council or the people of patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Indeed, they make sure that we don't need to go down to the quantum uh, realm in order to fight buildings that move and creatures with no holes. So our thanks, as always, to those patrons keeping us listener supported, keeping us on terra firma. And uh, our thanks, as always. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize. Matt, the film puts some blame on Scott, uh, even though they all went down to the quantum realm and Janet withheld all this stuff for, for this long. But, you know, at the core of the character, and we're even reminded in his misadventure with Cassie, oh, how many times you've been to jail? Well, I've been to jail more times than you because I'm the jail character. Will he be imprisoned? by the avengers could could we see all that he's gained go by the wayside for his actions in this film i think if we do it would be a little bit down the line and that's not necessarily a no if anything i think you know we all love paul rudd and all of that and the notion of him potentially being in a story situation where he does need to pay for introducing the 616 to kang or kang to the 616 or leaving that that bread trail breadcrumb trail whatever it might be um i think that that gives some really interesting story space in which to play so we mentioned catherine newton uh cast here over the previous actress from endgame um clearly Young Avengers, again, remains something out there for them to do, though not announced to this point. And the number of Young Avengers that we've now cast continues to grow. Yeah, I would be somewhat dubious as to do they go in that direction or is it more just a general or are they planning to go in that direction or is there more just a general concern that as some of these actors who have been around in the MCU for a while, um, you know, who maybe were not teeny poppers when they joined, but have, have now are now of one generation. How do you keep the next generation engaged? Is it with bringing some new stars in, in some kind of supporting role with the knowledge that 10 years from now, you just need somebody who can shrink down to do story things. And if, if that's Paul Rudd or if Paul Rudd has moved to the Hank role and Michael Douglas is off in retirement and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. The use needs somebody to be an ant person. And maybe in 10 years, it's Catherine Newton who does that in Avengers eight. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Paul Rudd and so on and so forth. I would suspect that that's more of the story proofing here for Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. I would also wonder if some of those characters looking at you, Kate Bishop, maybe just were one of those, streaming high life era characters that maybe disappear no kate bishop will definitely be back um but 
you can't get Kang to be your shrinker, apparently, because otherwise there's no movie, right? Um, yeah, I suppose the science a bit nebulous there. Um, and, uh, again, sometimes because story and sometimes because story says so. Will we see our quantum realm rebels again? I think that there's all the reason to do so. Um, you, uh, you mentioned getting Katie O'Brien. You get William Jackson Harper uh, in this film as well. Now, if you want to say they're getting available people who have some experience and some, uh, whether they bring in diversity or their, you know, and their acting skills, et cetera, et cetera. They were, you know, both actors were pluses to the piece. And certainly this is a great opportunity to just go for, you know, to go for some craziness. And if, if, these two characters or some of the other quantum realm characters become beloved. They can zip zap zoop up to be in Avenger stories and so forth. And if not fine, they can just stay at that level. But I think there is the possibility to see more of them. I mean, do I feel overwhelmingly compelled for it to be the case? Uh, not really, but how about this? If in the next Avengers movie, you need to have big scenes like you have, you know, big scenes of, you know, uh, many extras and many heroes lining up for the fight and so forth. Uh, if nothing else, let's bring those rebels back for that. A lot of people pointing to an Ant-Man movie without the presence of Michael Pena's Luis. Which I think is also a very, very fair concern. Um, I don't know where Luis fits into this movie. I would maybe say, but shouldn't you fit Luis into this movie? If you're going to get, um, if you're going to get the return of everybody's favorite FBI agent here, albeit in a montage scene. Um, but something that I think I suspect it probably was come on by for the morning and we're going to quick shoot a scene with no dialogue and so forth. Like you also could have done that with uh, Luis as well. Um, now if, if you want to say, well, there's a counter argument that that would then remind people that you've moved on from that level of storytelling in the little Ant-Man corner of the universe. Okay, fine. But at the end of the day, throwing some Luis there, that would have been fantastic. I feel like he should have been bopping around more than he has, whether it's in Ant-Man movies or Avengers or whatever it might be. And I think linking the two here that you would have randall parks jimmy woo show up in something that all right he's there but it feels largely like we've wasted that character that's since grown with wandavision um and that you don't have Luis here that you know you could have thrown him in the same way and I, i think people would have craved for more it's a it's a tough wire to walk. Transmissions. Let's check the wire. We go to Twitter, Pete, in which people had the following choices. One microscope can't see the good time, got six point three percent. Two ants, small fun, got six point three percent. Three ants, quite a picnic, got forty point six percent. 
And then for Ants, massive fund, got 46.9%. Some replies here. First one up, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. I had a great time. Kang was impressive, and the mid- and post-credit scenes were quite cool. I especially enjoyed how creatively imaginative the landscapes and Denzians of the Quantum Realm were. I have yet to meet a Marvel movie that I didn't like, and this one was a great addition. Uh, we hear from Eric Pritchard at Coach underscore Pritch. My girls enjoyed, uh, my girls and I enjoyed it, and Jonathan Majors totally killed it. Uh, next, we hear from Sea Smoke Rider. That's Kylie G three two eight, who says, uh, "In my opinion, a lot of the negativity around this movie is about Marvel fatigue, and uh, because I'm feeling it as well. I thought it was pretty decent." Uh, that's all I expect now. I'd rather be surprised by a good thing than disappointed from high expectations. Jonathan Majors is a god, though. Uh, actually, a little better than pretty decent. I had fun. Sea uh, Smoke Rider follows up with there. Uh, we heard from uh, at Steve Thurbridge on Twitter, who says it introduced the next big bads. Uh, it had deep parallelism. It had callbacks and fun stuff. It closed the book on the quantum realm pushed us towards more multiverse uh it was never supposed to be an avengers movie but we did witness the death of an quote avenger close quote <laughs> next we hear from noel gardner at noel camille uh who says i had a great time in the theater this movie is a wild ride and super weird and i enjoyed every moment scott's crisis moment at the end uh was really good why was the cake bad both credit scenes give us a glimpse, and I can't wait for Loki. Jonathan Majors killed it as Kang. Andre Yeager at Dr. Apollo 1983 says, Great fun, and Majors kills it. Bump what the critics say. Just go see it for yourself. Lastly, Pete Jordan Tanner at The Mighty Jor says, I was thoroughly entertained throughout the film. The visuals lacked verisimilitude, but I, uh, but I got over it and enjoyed the ride. I'm sure you've mentioned this, but it felt like it was an homage to Star Wars. Post-credit scene made my heart skip a beat. Loki is my favorite MCU series. I've seen a lot of comparison, both in professional critics and then fans to Star Wars. I think the cantinaization of the quantum realm and the way in which they can be weird, in which the the live action or the real world, if you will, uh, works just really kind of uh, lends itself to that. Last communique here, Pete, an email from Mary Kirk, who says as follows. So I went into the movie very trepidatious because I only actually listened to two reviews from people. I know to be very fair uh, to popcorn movies. Both of them were lukewarm on it, but I came out absolutely full of joy and delight. So here's the thing I was lukewarm on. Uh, Dr. Strange multiverse loved the Scarlet Witch part very mad and the actual strange parts. And I was let down by Wakanda forever. That I want to explain a bit more. The movie was good. And it was absolutely the best outcome when you've lost your main actor. Who was so beloved and respected. But it was the first time I feel like the MCU just told me the same story a second time. Lost a parent. Out for revenge. Have to overcome it to become Black Panther. So after those two movies last year. I was wondering if the movie side of the MCU was going to bring me as much joy as it used to especially when compared to how much fun and awesome I was getting from the Disney Plus stories. Well, Ant-Man showed me they can still bring me just as much delight and happiness as ever. Was the MODOK design ridiculous and weird looking? Oh, absolutely. I laughed every time he showed up on screen. And we used the don't be a D line twice driving home and other people on the road. <laughs> Loved Cassie. 
Loved the family focus, as always, of this trilogy. Loved Kang. OMG, Jonathan Majors can be terrifying. If forced to pick one thing I wasn't a fan of, the holes jokes would be the thing I picked, but I bet the kids will love them. I'm ready to see more MCU again. My concerns are allayed after this. Pete, that from the iconic Mary Kirk. And again, the only approval that Marvel needs is Mary's, everybody else. You know, you, you might feel you have skin in the game, uh, but yeah, she speaks for us all. And Pete, late breaking news as we record one more tweet. Who has sent it? What do they have to say? James the Sagacious, that's at Big Killin, uh, writes, It was a fun time. I would have liked a cameo or two, but also glad it wasn't three hours long. I'm starting to feel like the six-part TV series is just a better way for many of us to enjoy this content with the exception of larger team-up storylines. Kang was amazing. That makes me think... Pete, perhaps there's a common thread between his comment and Mary's comment. Between three movies a year, three to four movies a year, and what has been the volume of Marvel Disney Plus shows, you know, is there maybe some Marvel fatigue setting in? Well, here's the good news. Uh, we were supposed to get four Marvel Disney Plus shows this year, and now that's probably down to two. And we were supposed to get four Marvel studios films this year and now it's down to three so whether that i mean i don't think that's part of a grand plan i think that's just shifting realities and productions and so on and so forth but if you're feeling a little marvel fatigued good news marvel has the answer less stuff coming out in 2023 i don't know that that's necessarily the answer i mean that we've wrapped shows like echo and we know that they won't be out this year. I don't know that that's necessarily a service, but that you have the content coming at, at some point. I think it's more so beyond the slowdown going to affect like, all right, are we going to do this series or are they going to go in some other way? Well, Pete, I know we don't have like and the next immediate marvel thing i'm looking at the schedule we got star wars we got star trek uh i know there's a marvel movie for guardians of the galaxy volume three coming out in may but currently like that's it, that's it. on the schedule for the next several months uh, i suppose the schedule will evolve but how can people be in touch with you to talk about marvel you can find me on twitter well it's still there uh, at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,754 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do me in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on the Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H, like it today. As mentioned at the top of the podcast, this Star Wars Saturday, we'll be doing one more preview for Mandalorian Season 3 and Star Trek Sunday, continuing with Star Trek Card, this time episode 302. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania word. At least I...